Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey, parents, welcome to another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. This is actually episode 184, Michael. Can you believe mm. that? That's a lot of talking. Wow. We, <laughs> we appreciate the people who are listening. That's a lot of listening as well. And we yeah. really appreciate people's support and that you listen and you tell your friends about it. You're engaged with us. Uh, you can always go to wonderparenting.com, wonderparenting.com, and there you're going to find information, uh, resources available to you. You're also going to find uh, links uh, to our, our sponsors, one of which is the Center of Place of Hope. Dr. Greg Jantz is there. And uh, they've been a great sponsor almost since the beginning for us. And uh, we can't speak highly enough about the great work Greg does on his own as a uh, therapist, as a, uh, a man who really cares about the well-being of people, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He's written a number of books. And then his center is really one of the top centers in the country, up in the Seattle area, for those who are going through some particularly challenging times and, and need some extra care. You can learn more about them at wonderparenting.com, wonderparenting.com. That is the center of place of hope. We also have the Forge School. And the Forge School has been doing some similar kinds of work in a way with uh, with boys, young boys who are going through some challenges. And Michael, uh, tell us again about the good work that they do. Yeah, the Forge School is for 14 to 17-year-old boys. And um, uh, so if anyone knows a boy in that age group who's, who's having depression, anxiety, other uh, some other mental health issues, um, is in distress, and would would be a really good candidate for, for one to two months of residential treatment. Uh, the Ford school is really leading edge and really understands boys and had, they have a beautiful facility. So if you go to wonder and click the forge link there, uh, it'll take, take everyone to that. And it's technically embark at the Ford school, but Ford school is for short. Embark is the company. Excellent. So we have, uh, in 140 episodes, 84 episodes, we have talked about a lot of things and several things we talk about again and again from different perspectives. Um, but I think this is a topic we probably haven't tackled much, if at all. Uh, I believe we've talked about blended families, but this is more about the adopted child. And this was a question that was sent to us from our website uh, using the, the form there, the question form. 
says, hi, thank you so much for your podcast. It has helped me tremendously navigate co-parenting and blending a family. I was wondering if you would consider doing an episode on adopted children. Michael has mentioned briefly brain development being different in adopted children, and I would love more detail. My son, age six, was adopted as a newborn. One thing I noticed is that he does not handle attachments being challenged or feeling left out uh, well at all. Uh, when he needs, uh, when he feels left out, he gets very upset, cries, and acts out against the person he feels is leaving him out by hitting and kicking. I do wonder if this has to do with adoption. He does know he's adopted, and both his father and I have discussed it and read books about the topic to him. I would really love to hear about the nuances of the adopted child brain so I can help him with these situations. So a very, very good question, Michael, mm. um, and um, really glad that it was asked of you. So what oh. do you got for us? <laughs> um, yeah, let me let me approach it in a few ways. One is to say that when we lived in India, um, so I have two siblings. One is biological and one is adopted. And when my ah. parents lived in India, and I was a child, of course, um, my brother and I were kids and my mom had broken her back uh, mm. about a, when I was a year old. So a few years before that, and so could not have any more children, but really wanted a daughter. And um, my parents, when we were in India, adopted my sister Maria, whose name was Sujata uh, at that time. And she had been um, uh, somewhere right after birth, as, as happened in India in the 60s, uh, had just been left on the street. You know, the, pa pa the family couldn't take care of another baby, but the authorities came and got her and took her to an orphanage. And uh, we got her at seven months. So she was seven months old when my parents adopted her. And um, she is now uh, 58. She has a family, um, lives in the U.S., of course. And, and uh, you know, so I know firsthand uh, being the sibling of a child who was adopted. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that some of that's in my heart and soul as I answer this question. And then, uh, and then in terms of the research and just the basic psychology, the insight this mom is having is is you know correct uh let's say it's it's accurate to a lot of adopted kids perhaps most that issues of rejection come up now why why it's not just because the child was adopted um mm. this comes up so there are brain differences that come up um even when children don't know they're adopted but huh. some of this stuff still happens and why the re it's called developmental trauma developmental trauma. There was a, um, a book that might be 10 years old now called The Primal Wound. It might be older, The Primal Wound. And anyone who has an adopted child, uh, read this book. It, it kind of helps understand the psychology of what happened. So the reason that adopted kids can have this, even when they don't know they're adopted, is because they have developmental trauma that is the separation of their neurochemistry from the mom's neurochemistry. Hmm. So the mom is carrying the baby. These, the neurochemistry is linked and um, feeding off of each other, right? The baby is uh, taken away. The baby is born, taken away, put up for adoption. That is a developmental trauma for the baby's system. It does not mean 100% of adopted kids are going to have this, right? It does not mean the mom shouldn't 
give the baby for adoption. It's it's not about that. But we know that this developmental trauma exists because for a number of reasons, one of which is that around 30% of the children in the U.S. who are in residential treatment, so in other words, are having such significant issues that either in life, either the court mandated it or through other avenues, they need to get that kind of help, um, which is, you know, a deep intervention, right, into development. Around 30% are kids who were adopted, but only around 3% of American kids are adopted, three or 4% are adopted. So 30% versus, right? Hmm. It's it's um, 1,000% more, let's say, right, who are having these significant issues. And um, uh, so again, a particular adopted child, every part, every adopted child will somewhere fit on a spectrum of how their brain is going to handle attachment how their brain is going to handle bonding, every one. And a number of them you would never know, right? But you've got this higher proclivity because of developmental trauma. You have a higher proclivity of those kids who are going to have these significant issues. And um, those issues do often involve, like she's talking about a six-year-old who's hitting and kicking. Um, you know, it's, it, is, it is worth them talking to someone who specializes in adopted children to try to get help now, you know, because if this is a child on that spectrum who is going to have more developmental trauma, right. And it, or is going to evidence more of the developmental trauma over his lifespan, then it would be great to start working on this now, um, with him so that he or she, um, I am forgetting if this was a girl or a boy. Uh, it's a boy. Did she say, yeah, it was a boy. Okay. Yep, son. Yeah. I got my sister and this boy mixed up. Yeah. Um, so this boy, so that this boy doesn't, you know, isn't 14 and really violent or something like that. In other words, we want to get on this early because this developmental trauma is a real thing. And it's it, that neurochemistry separation has affected the brain. And so, you know, it, and people are probably most familiar with reactive attachment disorder with adopted kids um, which is something which is diagnosable, you know, and someone who specializes in this will say, okay, your child has reactive attachment disorder. Not all adopted kids do. Um, but it's a broad term to try to understand the issues that this child has with rejection and abandonment. Remember that in the psyche, in the deep psyche, the neurochemistry of this child, if it were conscious, what it would be saying to the world is I am, I am unworthy, unloved, unworthy of love because I was abandoned. Mm. Right. I mean, that I'm just saying that's that's kind of how the developmental trauma would be anthropomorphized in that brain. And again, there's a spectrum of that. So a lot of adopted kids don't suffer that as much, but mm -hmm. a number do suffer that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So that is, that is really interesting. Uh, so this, this is kind of new stuff for me. Uh, I want to just go on a little tangent and then come okay. back to this. Do children whose mother died, say in childbirth, or shortly after the child was born. Did they go through something similar then? Whose mother died, oh, while giving yeah. birth to the child? Yeah. Huh. Um, I would have to look that up. That's a very interesting, I would assume so. Okay. Died All in right. childbirth. That's a separation of the neurochemistry. I, I'm going to say I have to look that up, but I think so. Okay. Now, in terms of whether they, if she, they died when she was five or 10, right? Uh, no, that's going to be a trauma. That's a significant right. trauma. A and it trauma. could yeah. cause some attachment and abandonment issues. It probably will, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't qualify as, as, you know, the answer to the question of adopted. Okay. So uh, you've, you've kind of laid out for us that, that this issue of uh, attachment to adoptive parents um could very well be a, a part of the trauma that these children have experienced and didn't even know they experienced it. I'm guessing that parents, this, this parent's very wise. She's, she's, you know, she's onto this already. I'm guessing a lot of these adopted, uh, adoptive parents, parents who have adopted children are thinking to themselves, what did I do wrong? Yeah. We love this child as our own. Right. This child didn't even know what did we do wrong? So part of what you're doing is you're giving them some hope, some explanation for it. So let's talk practically. How do parents navigate this particular issue with an adopted child? Um, on the one hand, now they've got some awareness, right, uh, that there could be this issue. Um, but on the other hand, I'm guessing there are parents who say, well, I don't want to poke the bear if there's no bear there. Uh, so how, how do you sort of navigate? If you, if you adopted a child, how would you navigate that as, a, as the parent who did the adopting? Um, is the bear that you mean talking to the uh, that, child about adoption? Well, is that the bear to poke? The, the bear to poke would be if if my child isn't hasn't experienced trauma, ah. I don't want to create the trauma if it's not there. Oh, oh, yeah, um, you know, gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah, in this case, we're responding to a question where the guy yep. does have he, he does attachment have yep. issues, some abandonment mm-hmm. anxiety, rejection anxiety, and then he becomes physically or mildly physically violent at this point. So we're responding to that. Yeah. If, if yeah. a parent has adopted a child, if parents have adopted a child and everything's copacetic and by that, I simply mean there aren't, there isn't evidence of, of this significant abandonment anxiety or rejection anxiety, then no, you're right. Don't poke the bear, see what happens, you know, mm-hmm. see if, see if this pops up later, see if it pops up when they have the separation to go to preschool or the separation to go to, you know, somewhere else. And then uh, see if it pops up later, but if it doesn't fine, you know, there's a spectrum. So, mm-hmm. so that adopted child doesn't have as many of those issues. And, um, but in terms of, you know, the parents of adopted kids, the, there's luckily a lot of help out there. Like there are people who specialize in this. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, a lot of the residential treatment community, they're all trained in this because so many of their clients are, 
adopted. Um, so there are a lot of people who know a lot about this and who know a lot about reactive attachment, about attachment, about abandonment anxiety. And, and for the parents, they, they can seek those people out and they can be thinking, you know, think two thoughts simultaneously. One is, like you said, no, this is not the fault of the parents. Um, right. They, these parents who have adopted this child uh, will be doing their best as they would do with any child. Mm-hmm. And their best is, you know, most of the time, a parent's best is good enough. Um, uh, uh, but with this with this child, the parent's best may not be good enough, but the onus is not on the parent. It's on the developmental trauma. And, mm-hmm. and some of what the parent has to do is try to get help for the child, set, set up the right bonds uh, between parent-child and then with community like school and then maybe therapists, you know, um, and set up those bonds and keep helping the child to work in those bonds. And over a period of from, let's say, let's say the adoption happens, you know, right after birth, all the way to say 10, you know, uh, this child is always involved in, you know, five to 10 bonds, attachments, and then navigating in and out of those. And then the parents are always kind of helping, you know, okay. Um, and especially if the child is adopted, they can talk by the time, like this child's six, you can talk to a six-year-old. He's mm-hmm. not going to get a lot of it, but you can start the conversation. You know, you can say, okay, now remember you're adopted. So, so some things happen in your brain. And so you're going to tend to overreact, you know, so we're going to help you. So you don't tend to overreact and, and all of this stuff that you do to, um, to go directly to the source of this and not spend a lot of time on, I'm a bad parent you know, I messed up my mm-hmm. child, uh, all of that, because for the most part, like what she's describing, if this is in fact the case that he has some issues, it's not going to have to do with her. It, it's going to have to do with that adoption. And I think we have to have that distance. Parents who adopt kids have to have some distance. And I will use the case of my own family to illustrate my mom was, as we've discussed in this podcast, she had some mental illness issues. And mm-hmm. when my daughter, my, my daughter, when her daughter, my sister was 10, my mom did not know how to handle this. And my mom, because of her mental uh, illness, as she would get rejected by this child, uh, right? Because the mm-hmm. adopted kid is going to tend to do a lot of rejecting too, clinging and rejecting, clinging and rejecting. And she would get rejected. And because of her narcissistic personality disorder, she couldn't couldn't handle that. She needed the child to be a rewarding object for her. And, and so then she would become violent to my sister. And when um, and then at 10, uh, my CPS came and took my sister out and she was placed in foster care. Right. So the state got involved to protect my sister. And and my sister's doing again, again, she's fine. She's 58. She has a family. She's working. Um, I just talked to her recently. Good, good life. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's the wrong kind of parent. If parents are going to adopt, they need to be the kind of parents who are able to have some distance and that help so that they themselves are not clingy, you know, because that child is going to reject them and do things with them. And they're going to need to have um, some healthy distance and some mm-hmm. letting go uh, so that they can handle this over the long term, like the birth to 10, so that they're helping the child navigate relationships rather than they themselves being so entangled that they're constantly feeling hurt, then getting mad at the child. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. if that that can that would be the only thing where I would say, don't adopt a child if you are that kind of parent. If you're my mom, don't adopt a child. <laughs> yeah, right. So so if you're if you're adopting a child, would you 
uh, knowing what you know, take the position from the beginning. I'm just going to assume my child's going to be okay, and I'm going to parent my child as I as if this was my own. And if the issue comes up, we'll deal with it. Or do you start from the very beginning, saying this could be an issue? I need to look for it, or maybe both. Um, I you know I think we would we would kind of our natural instinct or organic instinct is to just love this child, and you know it's it's all going to work out. Like we're going to mm-hmm. do everything great for this child. We're going to give this child all this opportunity that this child probably would not have had unless we adopted her or him, we're going to uh, find the best schools. You know what I mean? We're going to do all these things mm-hmm. organically that we as parents want to do for any child. Um, and then if, yeah. And then if it shows up, we're going to, we're going to be educated on it. So as it's starting to show up, we're going to be able to start seeking help to help us with the mm-hmm. child. And then, and when the child's old, old enough, have the conversations with the child about it. I, I, I would say though, that simultaneously the wise parent, like who listens is listening to this will say, okay, I'm, I'm about to adopt. And I, I, by the way, would, you know, hope you will adopt. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I really think adoption is a sacred and wonderful thing. Um, but, and simultaneously go into it saying, okay, I'm going to keep educating myself on what this developmental trauma is, this primal wound. What is it? So that I will recognize it when it shows yeah. up, if it shows yeah. up, and I'll be ready to act, and and I won't have to overreact. I won't have to feel rejected. I won't have to get mad at the child, you know, because I'm so educated on it that I'll be able to have that just the right distance to be able to shepherd this child. My sense is that our our relationship with adoption has changed over the years where maybe years ago, even in our lifetime, you were adopted and that was kind of the story. You, you didn't, you know, interact with your birth parents. You didn't look for them. They didn't look for you. You may not even tell your child that they were adopted. And now there seems to be a a sort of a different sense of, you know, if, if everybody's comfortable, you're going to connect with your birth parents, your birth, the child of your birth. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, in, in, and there's probably no right answer to this, but but how do you handle an adopted child in your family? Uh, is it best at some point, you know, this is a six-year-old who knows he's adopted. Some kids don't learn that till they're later in life. If you were a parent, if you adopted, what would you be doing? How would you uh, talk about your child's birth, say, in relationship to your natural-born children? Mm, okay. A few things. Uh, one is I think parents need to follow their instincts. You know, mm-hmm. they know this child, um, they'll, she's doing all the readings, all yep. the books. She's read all the books, like she said, and I'm sure, you know, everyone has advice and, um, and then she, as to when to tell the child and she knows her child, those parents know their child, they follow their instincts. Um, you know, I, I, I don't agree that, oh, you have to wait till the child's 18 or something. No, no. I, there's such a conversation, as you've said, about adoption that it's fine. You know, in a lot of cases, the skin color or something like that is going to make it. Mm-hmm. So you're, gonna, of course, going to have to have the conversation as soon as the child is cognizant because um, uh, they're going to wonder 
about the skin color. But if the skin color is the same, then it's going to it's going to be what the parent wants to do Mm -hmm. and what they feel is a good fit for this child that they're raising. Um, And then in terms of the the birth parents, I at some point, you know, a lot of these kids do want to know who their their biological parents are. And I I think about my sister and I think for her. So, of course, there was no way to discover who her biological parents were because of that. She was just left on the street. No one knows knew anything. But now there are records. So, I mean, I think, uh, again, the adoptive parents have to follow their instincts and they'll be getting help from the adoption agency, the counselors, the people who are going to say to them, this is closed, this is open, you know, the rules, all of that. Um, when the time comes, though, that that this child wants to know, and if everyone agrees it's healthy, I would lean on the side of the child, you know, this is going to be an older child now, of the child mm-hmm. getting to know those biological parents, because I just remember my the yearning of my sister. And I always have that in my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. And I and if if that yearning and that longing can be filled, I think that would be healthy. And and for the adoptive parents to understand that this is not in any way a rejection of them. Uh, this is just that child who we're going to assume feels loved by mom and dad. This is mom and dad, but wants to know who am I? Where did I come from? And what, you know, what is the story of my birth family? So yep. um, I would, cause I could imagine it would be a little bit difficult for some parents, for a child to say to them, I want to know who my birth parents are and to be, oh, we're your, we're your parents. Um, but that's not necessarily what's going on there. There's something primal about that birth parent that they want to know that has nothing to do with the adoptive parents. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we definitely want to say we're your parents mm-hmm. and those those are your biological parents, but we Mm -hmm. are your parents. And, you know, the the great thing is that in, in most cases, the kids themselves know it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you have a a kid who's really acting out, really angry, having a lot of issues, you know, he will be saying, I hate you. You're not my parents. Or Mm -hmm. she will be saying, I hate you. You're not my parents. Yes, that will happen. Uh, But they know who has raised them. And, um, you know, by the time they're 10, 15, they know who raised them. And, Mm -hmm. um, so, so the biological parents are in a category for them. Um, it, it is important, and the adoptive parents are their parents. It is important to think from the child's point of view too. Not only is the child does the child long to just know who that person was, you know, just because it's an attachment bonding kind of thing. But there are two other things that the child is longing to know. The child is wanting to know more about identity, mm-hmm. right? Who am I? Um, uh, like. I have some friends who who adopted a child from Korea, you know, as this child got older, this child wanted to know more Korea. These are two Caucasian people, you know, so the child Mm -hmm. wants to know about what is my Korean identity? What is my, how, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So getting to know the, the parents can help with that. And, and uh, so that's an identity thing. And then another part of it is um, to ask those parents questions like, okay, mom, why did you give me up for adoption? Mm-hmm. You know, now this child is, let's say, 15 and can carry on that conversation with the parent, with the mom. And the mom can say, well, here was my situation, you know, and 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 it can help the child to not keep having the self-talk of being unlovable. You know, mm-hmm. the parents did it for these reasons. The parent was about to go in prison or I can make up a hundred reasons. So the parent was 15 and couldn't raise a child or whatever it is. Now 
this adoptive child has a conversation with the biological and is able to put to rest some things because the adopt the kid who is adopted i circle back to the fact that the kid who is adopted is always going to wrestle at some deep level with abandonment with yeah. inadequacy and with feeling that he or she is not lovable and so part of what the world is going to have to do with this adoptive child and what the parents are going to do the adoptive parents is just keep reassuring you don't know you are adequate you are lovable and we will not abandon you um, mm. but the child is going to have that you know we have i have clients who are 50s 60s who still feel that you know and why wow. they were raised by you know well it's because you're you were adopted you you were technically abandoned by someone right. and so of course your psyche is dealing with that <laughs> yeah yeah. And of course, let's say again, and you've already said it, you're going to do these things wisely within the context of, of people who can help you do this. Wise people who oh, yeah. get help. Can, oh, yeah. Yeah. Get help. Um, yeah. And, don't and, do this alone. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, so, go ahead. so, well, I was going to say so for this family going through this particular issue right now, um, it sounds like it might be good for them to find somebody who understands issues of that adopted children go through with the primal wound and begin to sit down and talk about how do we navigate this? Uh, yeah, if, you know, they mention a hitting and a kicking. I mean, if that yeah. has happened once a year, you know, then okay. Um, it, it, I mean, any child can hit or kick, you know what I mean? Right. If, if though, they're seeing the pattern emerging, which I kind of sense they wrote us because maybe mm -hmm. they're starting to see it emerge. So yep. if they're seeing the pattern emerging and like this child is hitting or kicking every four days, or this child is hitting or kicking every time or one out of two times that the child is rejected, mm -hmm. then, uh, then yes, I'd get on it right now. I would yep. start reaching out to those people who specialize in uh, adoption and counseling adoptive kids, reach into the residential treatment community which is a massive network and just see what assets are available in the city around you. You know what the, you know, your child at six doesn't need to go to residential treatment, but you can call that place. Like our sponsor, the Ford school, you know, people who are in Tennessee could call the Ford school and say, Hey, do you know of resources around in Chattanooga, which is an hour away in Chattanooga mm -hmm. that might help me someone who counsels adoptive kids start that start that search if the yeah. parents are starting to get worried. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would imagine um, thinking through, let's say you've got a, a child who's been adopted and is wondering, why am I so angry all the time? Or why do I have such a hard time attached? It, it would, it would come as a word of, of grace and good news to say, there's a reason why you feel like this. Yep. And it's biological. You're normal. And there are things that we can do to help you get through this rather than just living with this, however it's expressed, rage, disappointment, depression, um, and to say, okay, uh, I've been adopted. And, and so there are some things going on beyond my control. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my fault. It's just something that happened in the course of life. And, and to, to, to be able to name why I feel this way, I would think would be a gift uh, to a lot of kids who maybe have and parents who've maybe never thought about primal wounds before, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And and this anger, this hitting and kicking and anger and even rage, this is absolutely something to watch for anyone listening to this who who you know have uh, have adopted kids. It's something to watch because it is actually you know we do see this a lot. 
um, mm. where especially among boys, among males who have been adopted, mm. uh, because of all sorts of biology, you know, more likely to be to be physical, right? When they're angry and all that. And what what has happened? What's happened is, as part of the primal wound, the connectivity between the amygdala and the frontal, the amygdala and the prefrontal, um, uh, that connectivity uh, can get retarded, right? In diminished. In other words, yeah. those pathways don't get filled in as well. And so um, what the brain, the kid feels in the midbrain, you know, like the amygdala, where probably everyone listening knows by now, that's where you have a lot of emotions, including anger. You know, you have all these emotions. Um, uh, the crises hit you, the trauma hit you. It's, it's going to go into that amygdala to start with. And then what the what happens is the amygdala sends the, is supposed to send the signal upward, you know, to the top of the brain and the executive function in the top of the brain says, okay, you know, you're facing this, this thing. Okay. You have an impulse to hit someone, but no, you don't, you don't hit someone. You know, what you're going to do is you're going to cry or you're going to say something, or you're going to even withdraw and just go lie on your bed for five minutes. Cause you're feeling really bad, but you're not going to hit. Right. But the, because of the diminishment of th- these pathways and the filling in of these pathways, the kid feels it in the midbrain and the signal doesn't go up. And so the top of the brain is not overriding the impulse. And so we call this, you know, an impulse control issue or a self-regulation issue. And it is very common with kids who have developmental trauma. And so it is something to watch for. Yeah. So interesting. I learned something new today, which is always good. Anytime you talk to Michael Gurian, you're always going to learn something new. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. I, I yeah. hope I hope so. I yeah. hope I don't bore people. <laughs> and it was it was free of charge. So look at that. <laughs> it's even go. better. Uh, I do want to encourage you uh, because Michael does have such a wealth of information about these things. Remember, he's got these great books out, Saving Our Sons, The Minds of Girls, uh, Nurture the Nature, some of the other books. You can find all of that, wonderparenting.com, links to those books, uh, links to other resources that we've created together, and of course, to our sponsors. But most of all, you've got the question sheet right there, that little submission form. You can send us a question or you can do that on Wonder of Parenting, our Facebook page. And we would love to have you be a part of that community. Michael, as always, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with you next time. Another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. Thanks, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.